Well, this morning we're going to be uh, continuing this series I've entitled I Am. <clears throat> and as we began the series, we talked about the role of God as our shield and how he stands in front of us and guides us and leads us. And we looked at the story of Abram as he discovered uh, that God is the one shielding his life and we need to be careful if Abram needed to be not to run ahead of God. Then we looked at that weird conflict between Jacob and Laban uh, and discovered where God is going to, even though we may have a checkered past, uh, he can lead us uh, to be the people he wants us to be. And then last week we looked at Jacob again as uh, God uh, brought him to Bethel and renamed him Israel and said that we're going to worship and we're going to clean uh, the land and we're going to be the right people. Now we come to a time late in Jacob's life. So we, this is our third message uh, in Jacob. And I'm going to probably use Jacob and Israel interchangeable because, well, God does in the text. So if I say one, you just know it's the other. It's the same thing. But his boys have grown up now and life has gotten pretty interesting. Uh, the boys have done some pretty despicable things, if you remember the story. Uh, their younger brother, a guy named Joseph, had some weird visions, and uh, Joseph uh, didn't know really when to keep his mouth maybe shut, and he told his brothers what was going to happen, and they got upset and didn't like the idea of them bowing down to their younger brother, and so they decided to kill him. Well, you know the story goes. They didn't kill him. Instead, they sold him. Much a better deal. I guess, but they sold him into slavery in Egypt. Now, after years and years and years of him being gone, the news comes that Joseph is still alive. And Jacob, Jacob Israel, discovers this news, and it's a shock to him. But it's also a significant challenge because here he is miles and miles away with a family that's 70-plus strong, plus the wives is how the text tells us in there. They're living at Bethel, the place that God had promised them and God had spoken to them again and again. And, and now they're faced with the prospect of moving because Israel, Jacob, has heard that his son was alive, and he says, I want to see him. So the chapter begins, verse, 20, uh, verse 40, chapter 46, verse 1, begins this way. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down and with you, I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba, The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, their wives, and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, and Jacob and all his offspring with him, and his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all the offspring that he brought with him into Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we look at this little story again, Father, many of us have studied it before, we pray that you'd show us what we need to see here, Father, about you being our strength, about you being the one that leads us, that you're the one that empowers us, you're the one that guides and directs us. Father, we want our lives to not be focused on what we do, but, Father, focused on what you want. And we pray that you do that. In your, your name we pray. 
Amen. Well, there's five things I want you to see before we kind of break it down for us. The first thing I want you to notice is this. Israel embarks on a journey. Now, catch the picture. They are living in Bethel. Bethel is north of what is today Jerusalem. It would be in the region called the West Bank if you are a a geography nut like, well, I am. Probably most of you aren't. But it's north of there. It's a long way up there, and it's up in the highlands of the area. But the word comes, Joseph is alive. And on top of this great news, the moving company shows up. You're going, what? The Egyptian caravan has showed up to relocate the family to Egypt. And you're going, why? Let me remind you what was going on in the world at that time. There was a major famine going on. Remember, Joseph had been put in power in Egypt and had prepared the world, prepared the nation to feed the world through seven years of famine. And this story happens about two years into the famine. Jacob has already sent his, one of his couple of his boys down to Egypt to get food so they could survive. And they came back, and they, it was the second trip, and now they're coming back to get dad and the family to move to Egypt. Now, I would imagine that Jacob had come to terms with the loss of his son so many years ago. If you remember the story, the boys came in with a, uh, the coat of many colors doused with blood, a lamb's blood, but blood nonetheless. And he was convinced that his son was dead. And now he hears he's alive. And so in our day, we would hear this news and we might say, hey, let's hop on a plane, go see Joseph, and then come back home. But the world was different then. You couldn't hop on a plane, obviously. And it was a one-way trip down there, and the whole family was going to go. Now, I want you to catch what's going on here. Israel has decided it's time to go. We need to remember that Joseph knew the story of what's going on, the famines here. But notice the sequence of events. Joseph has sent his brothers back to Bethel, not only with the news he is alive, but with, as I said, a moving company. The loading company is there. The wagons are there. The caravan's there. They're going to pick up all their possessions, all for all 70-plus family members, and relocate them to Egypt, some 200 miles away. Not a small undertaking, by the way. At first glance, we look at that and go, well, that seems like a pretty good deal, right? There's no food here. They got food down there. Where do you want to live? I want to live where the food is, right? I want to live where there's a chance to survive this famine that's going. I want to survive the world that's in a mess right now. And so they get up and do that. But I want you to notice what happens here in Jacob's thinking. Did you see the consultation with God about what God wanted for them before they did it? Did you see the time of prayer and concern and asking God to lead them as they were making this decision? Me either. I want you to notice that's what has happened here is that Jacob has decided to relocate. Catch what I just said. Jacob has decided to take up the offer to move. You ever have decisions in your life where you do that? You say, this is what I think's right. This seems like a good deal. Let's go make that decision. Let's go make the deal. Let's make the move. Let's go do this. They are already loaded up the family and they have started traveling about 50 miles at this point. They've gone from Bethel in the north, past what will be Jerusalem one day, and down to Beersheba. If you look at a, a map in the back of your Bible, you'll notice that Beersheba is in the, in the southern part of the country. And you go, well, that's okay. It's also on the edge of the Sinai Desert. It's also in an area that is like nobody hardly lives in because you can't really live there very well except when the seasonal rains come in the spring. And the rest of the year, it's not a good place to be. And Jacob gets there and he stops and he's back home. He's back home in a sense because that's where his parents had lived. That's where his grandparents are lived. And he begins to have a time of worship and offers a sacrifice to God saying, God, thank you 
50 miles down the road, he stops. Maybe a better approach would have been to consult God about the oughtness of the move before they left, but nonetheless, here they are. And when he's doing this, here's what happens. Look at verse 2. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, now I want you to notice, he doesn't say, Israel, Israel. He says, Jacob, Jacob. You're going, so what? Who had renamed Jacob? Do you remember? God had renamed him, given him a new purpose in life. And Jacob responds, here I am. So Jacob and his family are camped out near Beersheba. God breaks in, or the whole the regional famine's going on. God wasn't surprised about that. Jacob's being in Beersheba, by the way, didn't surprise God either. He knew exactly where he was and what he was doing. God knew Israel's actions before he ever loaded one wagon. But it's interesting to note that God breaks into his life in the midst of this moment and says, Hey, Jacob, Jacob. Remember Jacob? meant deceiver or trickster, and God renamed him Israel, which meant blessed by God. Why didn't God use his new name? I suspect it's because he's acting like his old man. Don't we do that sometimes? We act like the old man, the old woman, the one before Jesus, the one that didn't live the godly life. It seems to me Jacob has, as we might say in our modern parlance, he's run off half-cocked. He's gotten the horse before the cart. He's doing things out of order. And Jacob has heard the news that his son, whom he believed to be dead, is now alive. Oh, by the way, he's also in charge of Egypt. He's saving the world with all of his actions down there. And Jacob has offered moving crews, not just for dad, but for the whole family. Man, this seems like a logical deal. This is like a pretty good deal. We better move down there. That's where the food is. We're going to be provided for. We're going to be taken care of. We're going to serve so they've already traveled 50 miles, and many would look at that and say, but, but Patrick, that's exactly what I think I would have done. Had somebody showed up with, a, with a, that good of a deal, I would have taken it. I would have jumped on it because somebody else might take it if I didn't. No, no. Here's where they're at is this, they're doing something they are ahead of God. We're talking about God's timing in this moment. You see, he made a move but he failed to consult God about the move before he did it. And I think therein lies the issue. Because so often, don't we? We do stuff like that. We jump ahead of God. We get there. Now, does that mean the end of the road, God's done with him because, well, you're not down here. You're not where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be back at Bethel. I'll tell you what, Jacob, if you will turn around and take your family back to Bethel, consult me, then we'll talk about moving. And God's more practical than that. He deals with him where he's at. But God wasn't going to strike him dead for moving south. Instead, what God does is breaks into his life and says, I got something better than your next meal. I've got a plan for you. And God intervenes and Jacob responds and says, here I am. That's not our I am statement, by the way. It just happens to be the same phrase in the text. Their relationship is strong, but Jacob has gotten ahead of himself. He's jumped the gun. He's where he really wasn't supposed to be just yet. And he encounters God. Then we get to verses 3 and 4. And this is really the heart of what I want you to see this morning because it is here that Israel engages the strong God. And you're going, what do you mean the strong God? Well, that's because of the word he uses here that I use that word. Look at what he says in verses 3 and 4. Then God said, I am God. I am God. God, the God of your father, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you a great nation. 
I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Now, with God having gotten Jacob's attention, we find a multi-layered word or a five-phase thought here. I want you to see all five of them. I didn't put it in your outline, but you, you can see it in the text. It just kind of almost jumps out of there. First of all, God identifies himself as El. You're going, I don't see El in the text. That's because I'm using the Hebrew word, not the English word. He says, I am El. El, L-E-L. That's a Hebrew phrase that means God. It's one that he uses for himself to describe himself, to describe himself as power and as strength and as might and as awesomeness. When Jacob hears the God of the Bible is the God of strength, he also understands more specifically that God is going to be his strength. You're going, well, didn't he know this before? Knowing it before and living like it before, And living like it now sometimes doesn't always match up, does it? We know God is who he is. We know he's all-powerful. We know he's our strength. We know he's those things. But often we choose to do things outside of that, don't we? That's what he's doing here. And if they were going to move forward, they needed to move forward under the banner of God's strength. God would have to be the power for them. Second, God gives Jacob the green light. He says, okay, you're here. Don't stop. Go on. Have no fear. Now, from where they're located in Beersheba, you look and you say, well, that's just across from here to here. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, it's a big deal. If you were to travel from uh, the Suez Canal today to uh, Beersheba, it would be an all-day bus ride. It is not a short journey. And they weren't in a bus. They were on foot. They were in carts carrying items. And it's a hot, barren wasteland 90% of the year. You don't have water flowing. You don't have grass for animals to eat. It is a grueling journey across some of the harshest lands in the region. This wide open desert had to be crossed. It's called the Sinai. Very little is there. Jacob tells, God tells Jacob, move forward, but don't just move forward. Don't be afraid. Why? He says, I'm going to be with you. He said, don't be afraid. Don't live in fear. Don't live that way. Third, he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation while you're there. Now you're going, well, you could call them the nation of Israel right now, but I don't know about you, 70 to 80 people, it really isn't a nation. It's more like a big family because it really is a big family. It's dad and 12 boys and their wives and their kids and their grandkids and all their stuff. That's their family moving. It's not really a nation. So what God says to him, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going, well, what does that mean? Wow. In the grand scheme of things, honestly, they were very insignificant people. They just barely are a blip on the world stage. And But God is saying this, I'm going to bless you in this time. I'm going to give you the strength you need to go through. I'm going to bring something amazing in your life. I can imagine Jacob, Israel, thinking to himself, I wonder what that means. Honestly, he would never see the outcome of this promise, though God has made it to him. Fourth, he says, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to go down with you, and I'm also going to bring you back. And you're going, I'm an old guy, so it's going to happen pretty quick. But you've got to step back and look at God's time scale here, God's economy here. God is saying, I'm going to do it in my time, and I'm going to do something bigger than you, and I'm going to do something amazing to you. I'm going to go down with you to Egypt, but I'm also going to bring you back again and take you out. He had no concept of time at this point. If you look at the history of the people of God in Egypt, it was about 400 years before they come back out of Egypt. I promise you, Jacob's dead. 
and buried. So is Joseph, and so are all the other people of that generation and many, many others. God is making a bigger promise to them than just, I'm going to bring you back. The length of time is much less important than the powerful hand of God in the moment. And then fifth, he says, uh, and Joseph's going to close your eyes. Now, you're probably thinking, I don't know what that means. That means exactly what you think it means. Joseph is going to be the one to close your eyes on your death. He's going to be the one standing with you, holding your hand, closing your eyes after you quit breathing. He says, I'm going to do something through him. And when Israel's life ended, Joseph would help bury him and take him back to the promised land and then come back to Egypt. What I want you to see here is this, the mighty hand of God at work on so many different levels. And if you stop and think, but wait, wait, didn't you just say he got ahead of God? He had made a decision to move without consulting God. He did. I think there's a promise we're going to see in a moment that God can bring good things even out of bad decisions sometimes if he chooses to. And then Israel expedites his journey. Look at verses 5 to 7. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. I'm going to stop right there because the rest of the text is just supporting to what he's saying here. I want you to focus on those words at the beginning of that verse. It's easy to gloss over that statement and go, okay, they moved. Got it. But stop for a moment to, to think again where they're at. They're, they're sitting on the edge of this massive desert where many people go in and sometimes they don't come out. And, and, and they're in a place 50 miles from where they were supposed to be, where God had blessed them. And he's in the land where his ancestral uh, father and his grandfather had lived. And God breaks in and says, hey, hey, you want to check with me before you do what you're going to do? I got something better than what you want. See, God was leading his people to move to Egypt, to be there for a season, to be strong in the power of God. And therefore, they needed to move forward in confidence. He says, I am with you. I am your strength. I'm the one that's going to carry you through. You look at a story like this and you go, how many years ago was that? Oh, about 4,000. I mean, it's a long time ago. What does that have to do with us in 2022 America with all the craziness that we live in? Child of God, I think there's a lot here for us that we need to grasp. The first thing I want to challenge you to think about, and you're going to think, well, are we all moving? I don't mean physically moving, though that can be part of this. We need to check with God before you move. Check with God before you make a step, before you make a decision, before you go down the road to what you think you're going to do. You say, well, this is a great deal. I need to take advantage of this. Check with God first. All too often in life, we'll have opportunities come to us and we'll have opportunities to go and do what seems right to us. And, and we say, well, I, I can be a part of that. I can, be a, I can do, a, do something there. I can make a difference here. I can do that thing. Israel was a man who had experienced God's intervention, not once, not twice, but multiple times in his life. And yet he still, at this advanced age, said, let's go. Before he said, hey, God, we need to be people who say, hey, God, Way before we say, let's go. God, what's your plan for my life? See, God had helped Jacob discover his wife, well, wives. He had guided Jacob out of Padanaram to Bethel. God had moved among his family numerous, numerous times, and now he's presented with an opportunity to see his son. Hey, I get to see my boy I thought was dead. Let's go. But did you check with God first? He jumps at the chance to get a ride to Egypt. Hey, he was getting free moving services on top of the deal. 
Why wouldn't you take advantage of that? He says, okay, we're going to uproot the whole family. All 12 families, all the grandkids, all the animals, all the stuff. We're going to load it all up and move. I find it interesting he didn't check with his wives on this one. Though he did talk to them before on some other stuff. And yes, there's a famine in the land. Things are hard. Moving to Egypt makes sense. But God had not given him a release to go, nor had God been consulted on the matter. You're going, what does that have to do with us? How many times have we taken the initiative because something comes along in our lives that looks like this is going to be good for me? But we haven't checked with God. You go, well, it all turned out okay. That's not my question. Sometimes the things turn out okay. Did you notice what happened for Jacob? He was okay just seeing his son, but God had a bigger plan. God needed to be consulted first. We'll take a step forward. He won't check in with God. I'm reminded of the words of David when he said this, lead me in the right paths, O Lord. That's a great verse to memorize if you're looking for another one to add to your list. Lead me in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. We need to be people who are coming to God on a regular basis saying, God, lead me in the right path. Show me the direction. Show me. So often in life, we just run down doing things that we think are going to be good, they are going to be fun, it's going to be enjoyable, or what we want or what we feel or what we like. Yeah, i got to tell you, all that stuff's fine. But in the end, for those of us who follow the Lord, who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ as New Testament believers, we need to be folks who are coming to God first. God, what do you have? And when we do that, what we'll find is God's plans are so much better than ours. His thoughts are so much better than ours. His leading is so much better than ours. And we'll make a difference in life. The second thought I want you to think about this morning is this. Walking with God is best. And you're going, didn't you just say that? Well, kind of, but this is a different cut on it. There's a principle I think we need to grasp from the passage that once we hear from the Lord... So once we do check with God and he says, this is what I have for you, then we have to continue to walk with God. Now, I'm going to tell you, the folks who went into Egypt with Jacob leading them and Joseph uh, meeting them there, they, they focused on the things of God. They listened to things of God. And over time, they let that stuff kind of fade, even though they were still following God. And ostensibly, they were still connected. All Jacob had in mind was to see his son. He goes, I want to see my son. God said, I got something better for you. He said, I've got, I'm going to give you my strength. I'm going to give you my leading. I'm going to give you permission to go down. I'm going to go and do amazing things in you. And I'm going to bring you out, your nation out one day. And you're going to stay long, long enough for your life to end. But you're going to set up the pattern here. And all Jacob wanted to do was go see his kid. God had a bigger plan. Had a better plan. And I think that in here lies the principle I want you to see. Whenever we take matters in our own hands, we will often miss the greater blessing of God in our lives. I want to just kind of focus on it a little bit more. Because listen, how often do we settle for what we can do and miss God's best? We get by, we survive, we get through it. 
I don't know about you. I don't want to just get by, do you? I don't want to just get through it. I don't want to just survive. I, don't, I want to thrive. I want to find myself in the midst of the great I am, working and moving in my life, causing us to be a part of what is bigger than us. And when God is allowed to set the direction, the tone, and to lead us forward, we find amazing things. How long will we settle for what's good enough? How long will be enough? Will enough be enough? For us. Jacob had a lot of amazing moments in his life. He was aware of what God could do. Maybe you've had some high points in your life too. You, I know experience God pretty amazing. I'm reminded of the words of Elijah. You remember the story at the top of Mount Carmel. It was during a, a much later period in time, but it was a section where God's people had been uh, really following after pagan gods and it was really kind of ugly and nasty and God called Elijah to get the people together and the false prophets together about 450 of them together at the top of Mount Carmel you remember the story and they're at the top of the mountain and those crazy prophets are cutting themselves and screaming out to their gods and nobody answers and Elijah kind of taunts them well you know he not God he does taunt them he's pretty tacky with them and finally at the end of that he says this to them how long People of God, will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is Lord, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. There comes a time, my friends, we have to decide, are we going to follow God with all of our hearts and let him be our strength or are we going to keep doing it ourselves? You know, the older I get, I'm not old, I, I get it, but I'm older than some. There are probably more days behind me than ahead of me at this point. I don't want to spend my life just doing the same old, same old. Do you? Just getting by. Letting God have a part of me and not have all of me. He wants to be your strength. He wants to be my strength. He wants to guide us. He wants to lead us. He wants to direct us. He wants to great things for us. And so often we just settle for what we can get. Make a decision that says, I want to be in tune with God. And one more thought I want to leave you with, maybe a little early getting out today. We're not going to beat the heat, so don't worry about it. Our God is infinitely strong. How strong is our God? You don't know. I don't know. You know why? Because it's so much more than we can ever begin to imagine. We can't even understand it. That's how infinitely strong he is, how much powerful he is. Jacob, Israel, had this supernatural encounter with God in Beersheba. They're about to cross the desert. They're about to go to a foreign land. Their lives are going to be changed forever. They're going back into a culture where their lives would be surrounded by polytheism again, all these pagan Egyptian gods this time instead of the Syrian gods. And, and they had to make a decision. Are we going to rely on God's strength or our strength? Are we going to let him lead us or are we going to lead us? Will we grasp the power of God or not? Little did they know that God's call on their life was going to result in over 400 years of living in Egypt. You're going 400 years. I mean, that would take us back to uh, the 1600s in our nation's history. You're going, that's a long time ago. Well, yeah, it is. 400 years. They would live there for generations because God would leave them there until he called them out. But the circumstances of the situation do not dictate God's strength. You say, well, God forgot about them. No, he didn't. He was going to lead them there. He was going to multiply them where they're there. And one day he would lead them out again to the promised land. He says, I've got something for you. 
The God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob is indeed the powerful God we serve today. How strong is our God? Infinitely strong. You don't even understand. I don't even understand how he is. God, uh, it's, it's the God that Isaiah described this way. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Understand this. Ultimately, we need to know that God of the Bible has no peer. He is not like the false gods that inhabit our lives so easily that we let ourselves get distracted by this or that or those things. And we're going to be blessed when we follow God with all of our lives. But you ultimately have to make that decision, don't you? Will I follow Jesus? Will I trust the Lord? Have you not known, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint. He doesn't grow weary. His understanding of him is so much bigger than us. We can't even grasp it. So my challenge to you this morning is this. Have you come to that place in life where you've experienced the unsearchable, unimaginable power of God? The place where you said, God, I lay it in your feet. That's the place to start. You go, well, I've been going to church for 40 years. Me too. So what? I remember years ago I heard somebody say, well, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian no more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. We have to come to a place where we trust God personally. And we say, God, I'm laying my life at your feet. Have you done that? And if you have, what's the next step? What's he got next for you in life? Where's he wanting to lead you? I already know. I already figured it out. Wait, wait, wait. Have you asked God? Have you let him lead? I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond this morning if you need to. We're going to sing a song in a moment, but I want to pray for us. Father God, we pray for your hand to be free in these moments to guide us, to direct us, to show us what we need to be and what we need to do. We pray for those who bother, maybe are struggling with trusting you They go, I can handle this. God, we would confess we can't handle it without you. We need you to guide us. That doesn't mean we put our brains on ice and ignore them. But Father, it means that we trust you and we seek your guidance and seek your will step by step by step. Father, we pray your hand to be free in these few moments. The decision needs to be made. God, we don't want to limit anyone. And we want to respond. Jesus' name.